I'd like you to uh, turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. I... uh, Actually, glad to have the opportunity to share a little bit more. I have uh, found <clears throat> that people actually do tune in to the uh, Shepherd's Christian Center uh, website, and I've had people in different parts of the country say to me, uh, "Oh, I like your series on sonship that's on the Shepherd's Christian Center website." So uh, we've been sticking, you know, uh, sort of line upon line on there, little blurbs here and there, and so it's, uh, it's nice to be able uh, to continue with that <clears throat> theme a little bit this morning, uh, because uh, in uh, seeing, as I, as I told you, I'm a slow learner, and so it's taken, you know, I don't know how many years to actually discover what some of you probably, maybe all of you already knew, and that is that sonship is the theme of the New Testament. Uh, <clears throat> I felt when I finally got to seeing this, that I was like the old prospector up in the Yukon uh, searching for gold my whole ministry, and uh, once in a while coming upon a color in a, in a creek or a nugget someplace, and happy for the color, you know, and happy for the nugget. But uh, when I began to see the things that we've been sharing and uh, lately, I really do feel like I have sort of discovered the mother load and the vein of gold that ties everything together, which if understood, helps everything else make sense. They're not just colors, they're not just nuggets, you know, but they're all related. Uh, they're all, some of them are outliers, but they're all related to that theme. They're all, re- and, they don't, and without the theme in mind, they don't really make any real sense. They're nice, they're good, they're nice thoughts, but they don't make any sense uh, in terms of the whole. And so uh, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that understanding, along with the understanding that is so simple, it's so clear, it's so concise in John chapter 1, verse 12, which says, in case you don't remember, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, revealing that when I minister on sonship, or you do, or anybody does, we're not uh, ministering some weird, obscure truth that only a few people are ever meant to understand. But rather, we are sharing what the gospel message is all about. Anyone that receives him is given the authority, for that's what the Greek word says. Anyone that receives him, John says, is given the authority to become not just little baby Christians, authority to become not just Christians, not just Pentecostals, not just move of Godders, not just spirit-filled, but rather everyone has been given the power to become one of the sons of God. Whoa! See, and even though most of the church is scared to death to even mention the phrase sons of God, (laughs) yet the Christians that are within the ranks of every church this very Sunday morning 
are called with one hope of their calling. There are not two hopes. One for the regular church and then another hope for us elite ones. Oh no. Every believer is elite because Jesus Christ died for every believer. And so that's why it says elsewhere in Ephesians there is one hope of our calling. See, There's one faith. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one spirit. You say, where's that at? Look at Look at Ephesians 4.4 4 family, right? There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. So you can no more divide the calling of a Christian in two than you could divide the Holy Spirit in two. For there's one spirit. There's not two spirits. There's not the one that Jesus got, which was the big one, and then a little one that you got. Oh no, there's only one. And so the Spirit of God that filled your heart when you got saved, and the Spirit of God that you were baptized into at your baptism in the Spirit is the very same Spirit that conceived Jesus. And it's the very same Spirit that came on Him in the form of a dove and abode on Him and never left, and in, in whose fullness He moved as an example and a pattern for those who would follow him, right? So, so, so it, since it's easy to see that there are not two Holy Spirits, can you make the connection in Ephesians 4, 4, that in the same way that there are not two spirits but only one, there's only one hope of your calling, not two. And that hope of your calling is to fulfill not some obscure verse in a minor prophet someplace, but to fulfill John chapter 1, verse 12. If you've received him, he gave you power to become. Ooh. Power to become the sons of God. Right? Okay, so, so those two things, that sonship's the theme of the New Testament, and that all believers truly are called to that sonship relationship. That's what it means to be a believer. Okay? Uh, I feel like that I have, you know, found the mother load. I found that which when understood, everything else uh, fits together. Everything else makes sense. I hope that that, I hope that you can uh, begin to <laughs> begin to feel the same way. So we've talked about a lot of different things along that line and, and probably ended somewhere near Ephesians 3.16 up until now. And that is this, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. And uh, I said, I don't know if you remember that I said, I, you know, I wouldn't flatter myself so much as to think that everybody remembers what I say, but... That Greek phrase in, in Ephesians 3.16 that's talking about you and me is the same Greek phrase that's used in Luke chapter 2 when speaking of Jesus. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. Jesus grew by waxing strong in spirit. Waxing there in the Old English is not something that happens in a salon. <laughs> Waxing, becoming. He waxed strong. He became strong in spirit. That, oh, that says so much, doesn't it? Yes. And see, we who are to follow him 
Guess what we are to be doing as believers? We are to be waxing strong in spirit ourselves. And the smoking gun that proves that that is true. See, see, <clears throat> you you got to accept this, I think, if you're going to be one of these sons of God. You've got to accept that we grow like Jesus grew. Backing up one paragraph, Jesus had to grow. He, wasn't, he was born, he came into the world as, as the Lord from heaven, it's true, and the angel said he was the Savior, and the angel said he was the Christ, and the angel said he was the Lord, but he had to grow into who he was. So, so Luke says, you know, and the child grew, waxed strong in spirit, etc., etc. Later, says Jesus, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, obviously, a growing process in Christ's life until the age of 30, when the way we put it is that he was a manifested son, the first manifested son that the world has ever seen, right? And yet, Romans 8 says that there will be others. And that what the world is waiting for is the manifestation of the sons of God, right? And so, uh, so <clears throat> Ephesians 3.16 is a smoking gun that proves that you and I as believers are to grow like Jesus grew. For since it's the same Greek phrase that describes his growth process, that describes your and my growth process, <laughs> guess what? then we realize that some of these verses really do make sense where if he, uh, Hebrews calls Jesus our forerunner. Whoa. Our forerunner means that we are after runners. He didn't call him a runner. If he was just a runner, then it's just all about him. But because he's a forerunner, for whether our forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, who entered in, into that which is within the veil, then when he's called the forerunner and he's called the, 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 uh, the captain of our salvation, and the Greek, the pioneer, and he's seated with his father on his throne, and he says, if you overcome like I overcame, you will be seated with me in my throne. All of these things are saying that he expects the believer to walk as he walked. That's what John said, 1 John. We ought to walk as he walked, right? He expects the believer to follow his example. What example, you say? Well, that example where it says he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, right? 1 Peter chapter 2. So there is a growth process, and we want to look a little bit more closely at one aspect of that growth process. And I have to emphasize a couple things before we get started. Num number one there is more to it than this. But we're just going to concentrate on one aspect of that growth process today, uh, hopefully able to keep things simple, but I want you to understand that I, that I know that there is more to it than what we're going to lay out this morning. And then uh, secondly, uh, although I'm going to talk confidently uh, from the Word of God, I don't want you to get the idea that uh, I'm an expert or that I am the epitome uh, an example of everything uh, that the Word is declaring. Okay, in other words, I'm ministering as much to me this morning as I am ministering to you. Okay, and so that our mutual faith of us together is going to be hopefully something that will be uh, important. And so if you would uh, look over at uh, starting uh, at Acts chapter 10... As you're turning to Acts 10, let me, let me say that uh, 
I've had a couple of interesting experiences with songs that, conf- that are confirming the things that I've been saying. I, I must be getting a little uh, forgetful. Uh, I, uh, I've been sharing along the lines in different places, but not going as far as we are today. And I was in Kissimmee, Florida, and got done with a message, and a brother uh, said, uh, hey, he said, I, got a, I, I think I got a song that we ought to sing. And he sang a song that I used to sing of uh, Virginia Burgies all the time, and that was, uh, we must run, run, run the race that's set before us, you know. And then the next verse is, Jesus ran, ran, ran the race that is set before us. And I'm thinking, how come for the last six months I haven't been singing that song because it goes right along with everything that I've been saying, right? Jesus ran the race. And then and that, some of the words at the end, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and together with the cloud of witnesses, he's calling us to run. And let, me, let me go through the whole second verse. Jesus ran, ran, ran the race that's set before us, and he won, won, won. He is now at God's right hand, right? And together with the cloud of witnesses, he's calling us to run, run, run. Uh, until the race is won. Hey, wonderful, you know, terrific confirmation. I said, thank you, brother. <laughs> we sang the song, you know, and, and uh, so, uh, that was, uh, so that was one. But then in the convention in Bowen's Mill, uh, Laurie Pettis got up after someone's message, and, uh, and she turn the tables on me. Sometimes I get up and I sing Laurie's songs. So she got over to that organ and she, and so she turned the tables and she sang one of my songs, see. And, uh, but the thing of it is, it was a song that I, I haven't sung for very, quite a while myself and, it, and even sort of even forgotten about because when I first shared it 20, 25 years ago, it really didn't seem like too many people caught on to it. You know, so uh, so Brother uh, Bill Greer was uh, uh, at the podium, and she's singing the song, and I'm sitting over here, and he doesn't really know the song. So he looks over to me, he says, "Do you know this song?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I, yeah, I know it." You know, so so he said, "Well, come up and sing it." So I so I take the little mic and I'm singing the song of that, and the, and after a time or two through, then he says to me, he says, "Where did that song come from?" You know, and so with this little look, I said. You know, and he. So then later he says, "How come you never? How come you never shared that song with us?" Oh, I said, "Oh yes, I did. I did, but it was twenty, twenty-five years ago." So, uh, so I'm, I'll sing the song. Let's see if you uh, see if if you know it or remember it, because because of the verse that we just read, and and the thing about it is, I myself, I had this song that was confirming my own sermon. I even forgot I had it, you know. You know this one? Let that fall on me, precious Jesus. Thy keeping power fall on me, blessed Lord. Flood with might the Enable me by thy grace. 
in, in time of need. Let thy power fall on me. Let thy power fall on me, precious Jesus. Thy keeping power fall on me, blessed Lord. Flood with might the inner man, thy grace to stand in time of need. Let thy power fall on me. Flood with might the inner man. Enable me by thy grace to stand in time kind of knew it. You kind of knew it. So, uh, asked me later, Bill said, well, when you spent all that time with something white stone, I said, how come you didn't sing that song? He said, you... I said, I've got to be honest with you. I forgot. <laughs> I, just, I just forgot about it. But, uh, but uh, it's true. This is what we're asking for God to do is to, is to flood with might the inner man. Right, so that you and I would wax strong in spirit. We need to. The days ahead, somebody is going to have to wax very strong in spirit, right? And so uh, you, you went to Acts 10, didn't you? Okay. Here's that 38th verse. Here's how Jesus functioned on earth. This is a revelation about Jesus. Most people never. Most people don't even care. But if you care, you gotta, you got to... You've got to uh, accept what is said here. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That was the, that was the message that had been spread from uh, Galilee. That was the message that after John preaches what Peter said, uh, it seemed like everybody you know, had heard something along the lines that God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. What the key for us is, is to see how that, that's how Jesus functioned. Uh, and that is how the believer is also going to function. And so that growth process in young Jesus' life was a growth in the anointing, a growth in the Spirit. It was more than that, but it, it was that. Uh, we'll talk about other aspects some other day, but part of what was going on as he waxed strong in spirit was he was growing in the things of the Spirit of God and growing in trust of the Spirit. And so guess what, family? He says to you and me, him, he that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame 
and am set down with my Father in his throne. In other words, if you're going to get to where I am, Jesus says, you have to go the way I went. And the way he went was he grew in the anointing. So I want to talk about that a little bit today, the need for it, uh, the value of it, and I'm actually going to turn to an Old Testament scripture, and that would be Exodus chapter 30. One of the great legacies, I think, that Brother Sam left us, uh, and he was really, truly ahead of his time in this, it seems, in an era when preachers on uh, radio, television, tents or whatever, tended to bill themselves as the great man of God that you need. I've got the anointing, and you poor people, you got nothing. <laughs> and you need me for your healing, and you need me for your revelation, and you need me, and you know, and all this type of thing. So bring your money, send your money, or whatever, and you have me, the great man of God. In, in, in that era of time, Brother Sam said, you know, I want to help you people so that you don't even need me. Exactly. I want to give you the secret. I want, to, I want to help you. I want to teach you. I want to give you something that if you get a hold of it, not only will you not need me, you will, you will go on beyond me. <laughs> you know. And so, and in that, he's very much ahead of his time. Now, I notice that uh, particularly Brother Bill Johnson's ministry and those around him have really, truly engaged in teaching others, uh, you know, uh, the ways of the Spirit, teaching others the, these kind of uh, uh, what might have been in another era held as divine secrets. You wouldn't want anybody else to know because then I wouldn't be important anymore. And so Brother Johnson and others are, 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 are opening up, you know, but that's 50 years later, family. Right, And so we have had the benefit of someone who was so concerned for our own spiritual growth that he opened to us the secrets uh, if, if we cared to receive them. And one of those uh, secrets that he opened to us is the, 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 the value and the benefit of the anointing in the believer's life and the way to grow in the anointing. And one, the thing that, the, perhaps the most hopeful thing I ever took away from any message of Brother Sam's was this. Anybody can grow in the anointing. Anybody can. I'm a 17-year-old boy with zero anointing. When I heard, what, and I, I'm not sure if he said those words or if the Spirit said it through what he was ministering, but it doesn't make any difference. When I, when I realized that anybody can grow in the anointing, even me, even you, even young people, even old people, praise God. <laughs> anybody can grow in the anointing, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I, I, I lamented really, because Brother Sam was saying things like, my God, you people praying to get your big toe healed, you know, and, you think you're going to pray and get your belly ache healed? And he, like, he's so, so far beyond these things, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't even have enough faith or strength to get my big toe healed, right? You know, I don't have enough going on to get a belly ache healed. And he's talking about stuff so far beyond that, and I, I kind of 
lamenting this, and at the same time, I, I thought there's only probably about five years left in this world, if that. You know, how in the world, you know, how is this all going to fit together? And I believe that God said to me, start where you are. Start where you are. And so then that, that, that began a change of, of the way I did things. But, but uh, you know, thank God for Brother Sam and, and, and uh, his ministry in, in that. And so I want to just talk, look at a couple of those things because, you see, this ties in uh, with the sonship message in that since Jesus grew in the anointing so that at, by age 30 he actually truly moved in the great power and strength of the Spirit, then you and I are called to grow the same way if we're going to be some of those sons of God that the world is calling out for and the world is waiting for, right? And so, the, 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 uh, see, the plan is not to get saved and wait for the rapture. The plan is not to get saved and get your neighbor saved and both of you wait for the rapture, right? The plan is to grow. The plan is to use the authority of John 1.12 to its fullness, right, and to grow in that. So, Exodus chapter 30, uh, verse uh, 22. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia. 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hen. And that's not Benny Hen now. That's a unit of measure, okay? Take you some olive oil, Moses, and mix into that olive oil some spices. Now, these are not just your regular, this is not oregano. Okay, I like oregano, you know. All right, this isn't just some basil. Oregano's easy to get. Basil's easy to grow. But, oh, but the cinnamon and the cassia and the calamus, these are rare spices. These are hard-to-be-procured spices. These are costly spices. And he says, take these rare, costly spices and mix them together. Mix them in the olive oil. And then he said, it's going to be, that's something. Verse 25, here's what it is. Thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, anointment, compound after the art of the apothecary, it shall be an holy anointing oil. So here's the natural picture, a figure for the time then present, what Brother Sam used to call a type and a shadow of a New Testament reality to which it points. Don't go home and make a concoction of this oil in your kitchen and think it's going to do anybody any good. It won't. <laughs> uh, but there is a New Testament reality of the anointing of the Spirit that this is, is pointing to and is a picture of. And so I'll read a little bit further. Uh, uh, verse 26, And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony and the table and his vessels and the candlestick of his vessels and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and so on and so forth, thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And you see, there was a power associated with this holy anointing oil. Uh, those pieces of furniture 
that, were, that had to be anointed before they could be vessels fit for God's use in His temple or in the tabernacle, uh, they, those pieces of furniture, they were made of the right materials, which were ordained by God, established by God. They were made according to the pattern that God laid out in Aholiab and Bezalel, these men with these cunning craftsmen. They built them according to the right pattern. But family, it's not enough to just be made of the right materials. And it's not enough just to be formed according to the right pattern. If that's all that that furniture had going for it, it would have been rejected as vessels fit for the service of God. Because there's one thing that had to be added to all of that good stuff in order to make it actually uh, viable. And what had to be added to it was the holy anointing oil. And he put some of it on the altar, and he put some of it on the table, and he put some of it on here and some of it on there. And then once those uh, pieces of furniture were anointed, with the holy anointing oil. Now they, they weren't just chunks of furniture anymore. They weren't just wood overlaid outside and sometimes inside with gold anymore. Now they were the vessels of the house of God. Now you better not just, you better not mess with them. You know, you carry those things out to Babylon someday, you're going to have big trouble because they are the vessels of the house of God. Just ask them in the days of Daniel whether that didn't turn out to be true or not. See, And so there, 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 was, a, uh, a, huh, there was a power to become resident in that holy anointing oil. Now that's a revelation. You've been given power to become. Part of what we were given for that is the New Testament reality of the anointing of the Spirit. That that was only a, a picture of. But it goes on. It wasn't just inanimate objects. It was also people. Notice uh, verse... Uh, well, let, let me finish the... Uh, let me finish verse 29. And thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy. This is the furniture yet. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And... Thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And so, uh, uh, <clears throat> once again, it, it wasn't just chunks of furniture, but it was human beings. That Now, Aaron and his sons were well connected. Okay. Aaron was Moses' brother. And those sons were Moses' nephews. And there's, you know, so much goes on in North American Christianity. Well, in South America, and I know that for sure, where a lot of what happens in church it happens with, <laughs> with those that are well-connected, you know. And so you sometimes have family empires and all different kind of things built within the church. Well, here's, here's Moses and here's Aaron, and Aaron's well-connected and so on. But let me tell you, it wasn't enough that he was Moses' brother. And for those four boys, it wasn't enough that they were Moses' nephews. They had to be touched with the holy anointing oil. And it was then and then only that they may minister unto the Lord in the priest's office. And so, so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how well connected you are. 
It doesn't matter what kind of natural charisma you might carry. None of those things really matter to God. What matters to God is whether or not you will allow Him to touch you with the anointing of the Spirit of God. And so later in here, we won't read it, but it says, God will not allow you to pour it upon man's flesh. And He won't allow you to make another concoction like this. And I take that to mean that there was really only one batch ever made. And that batch had to last through the various anointings. And there, there were a f- several mentioned in the Old Testament that some prophets and some kings and different ones received an anointing like David did. You know. And David's a good indication, that whole story is a good indication how that God is not impressed with flesh. Okay. Oh Lord, in our era of television, the church is impressed with flesh. <laughs> God is looking for a people that will be impressed with the Spirit and want to be anointed of the Spirit. But you remember when God, God said to, Jesse, to Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and there anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king over Israel. And God didn't tell Samuel ahead of time which son it was. Now, God knew which son it was. But he didn't tell Samuel which son it was so that Samuel would learn a lesson. And perhaps so that the house of Jesse would learn a lesson. And it got written down in the Bible so that you and I might learn the same lesson. And the lesson is that God is not impressed with flesh, actually. All right? But, you know, it's amazing. he, He goes to Jesse's house and, I'm here to anoint one of your sons to be the next king. And, of course, Jesse trots out the oldest son. And I, I bet he didn't say it, but I bet he thought it. You know, here's your man. He's so much like me. <laughs> I taught him everything he knows, right? You know, uh, you know and, and, he, and Samuel himself was impressed and was taking the, he was about ready to pour the oil with a crew. And God said to him, that, that's not him. And so then, you know, they go through this whole big thing where uh, Jesse brings out, is it six or seven sons? Uh, and none of those are it. And it's getting embarrassing. And Samuel says, don't you have anybody else? And Jesse says, well, pff, there's David. I mean, he's out there with the sheep. And something in Samuel says, mm-hmm. Well, go get him. And so they bring in little ruddy David, right? And uh, the Lord says to Samuel, arise, anoint him. This is he, right? So Not Samuel. Samuel was not impressed. The kid's own dad wasn't impressed. (laughs) It couldn't be David, right? But yet, you see, it was David. And David had poured on him some of this very stuff that we're talking about, this holy anointing oil. And so so I want you to see that the power of the anointing, it truly is a power to become. Men, mere men, became priests of the Most High. Chunks of wood, they didn't have gold on it, that was pretty good, but that wasn't good enough. The wood with the gold on it became the vessels of the tabernacle because of the holy anointing oil. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. That's how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And so the, other, the only other thing I want to mention about this passage, I want to emphasize again, 
that the, that anointing oil was a costly little concoction. There was a price that had to be paid to make it to procure the things necessary for it. So it was a, uh, it was a precious, uh, expensive commodity. And see, this is the rub in 2016. This, the church still, I don't think, and I say the church, I'll include myself in this too, I'm not sure any of us really understands the price that has to be paid in order to get enough of this or a strong enough dose of this to truly, genuinely become what God wants us to become. It isn't, it isn't, in the end of the age, God is not waving the magic wand over some people that were waiting for the rapture and suddenly transforming them into the sons of God any more than he waved a magic wand over little baby Jesus. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit. He increased in in wisdom and in in stature and favor with God and man. And so someone in this end of the age is going to also go through that same process. And so part of that uh, is this uh, growing in the anointing. I'd like you to look at Isaiah 61. We discovered uh, long ago, in the, uh, as uh, as a prospector, uh, some some nuggets concerning this. You know, one nugget that we discovered uh, uh, is there's a there's a there are two forms, two contrasting forms of the genuine anointing of the Spirit. That both forms are available to the believer. Both forms contribute to the growth that's necessary, both contain the power to become that is needed. Okay, and the, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up now is because most of the church is very familiar with one form, but the other form, not so much. Okay, And so uh, Isaiah 61.1, we read about the form of the anointing that most of the church understands and is familiar with. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, and so on and so forth. Wonderful verses follow. But what I want you to see is that this is a genuine form of the anointing, and it is the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I, I call this, these are my words, not Scripture's words, I call this an exterior or external anointing. The Spirit of God is upon me. That phrase is mentioned, Spirit upon someone is mentioned a lot of times throughout the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. The Spirit comes upon someone. Now, the, now <clears throat> uh, uh, I, I don't want you to think from the remarks I'm going to make in a minute that I think that that I that I think we don't need this. I'm going to talk about something other than this that we need too. But when I say that, I don't want you to get the impression that I think we don't need this. Let me tell you unequivocally, we need the Spirit of God 
upon us. Not just in church, but, it, but in church don't hurt. <laughs> when you come to a body meeting, what you're hoping for is the Spirit of God meeting us and flowing like He did in this praise service, Daniel. That was great, brother. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and as John mentioned, you know, the, the, the Lord inhabits the praises of His people, doesn't He? And isn't it great? You know, and, and see, we want more of that, not less of it. And we want to uh, value that and not devalue it, family. And, and one of the great things that we have always had is a liberty in the spirit. And, oh, please, don't ever let that go. Don't let that go, you know. Uh, we, you could say as well as I can, uh, many times just in that praise, God does wonderful things. I've been healed in the praise. Some of you have too. You've probably been delivered in the praise. I, I, I told you, didn't I tell you about Bud Carpenter's testimony about get, being delivered in the Lubbock Convention during the praise? I told you about that, right? So I won't, I won't mention that. But so many things happen, can happen, when we encounter him in a, abandoned praise to God. We don't ever want to let that you know, slip away. So, so when we come into a, a meeting like this, and, and if someone is going to prophesy, like happened this morning, someone is going to minister the Word of God or what, even pray. <laughs> you got to pray in the Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our infirmities. You can't, prayer in the flesh doesn't get anywhere. It's got to, everything's got to be by the Spirit, you know. And so, when, so when, the, when the Spirit comes upon us, we are different people. In a some small way, we become someone. Should I put it that way? We become someone different than we are without the anointing upon us. Okay, uh, like Brother Sam put it this way. The, the anointing is a supernatural power that comes from God that enables us to be more than we are in ourselves. Hallelujah! Because in myself, I'm nothing. But it was, it was even kind of, it was, it was prayed or prophesied, but in Him. In myself, I'm nothing, but in Him, I can do all things, right? That's, that's true, you know. I can do all things in Him by the anointing, by the power of the Spirit, right? And so, uh, so we need it. And when the Spirit comes upon someone, they, they, they are different. Uh, see, if God wants to accomplish something through a man or through a woman, uh, He anoints that person, the Spirit comes upon them, and they, they really are different. They're, they're more animated, their mind is quicker, it's sharper. Their senses are uh, keener uh, than in this, their normal everyday capacity. They're under the anointing. They're under the, they're under the power of the Spirit. Some people lose their appetite under the power. They, don't, they, they can go long periods of time without eating under the unction, under the power of the Spirit. They can, they can stay on their feet for hour after hour after hour. Think Jane Miller. Uh, you know, under the unction, un, under the power of the Spirit, they can go... Long periods of time without sleep and be, uh, and, and be strengthened, you know, by the Spirit of God because uh, they're under that unction. Some actually quake and tremble under the power of the anointing of the Spirit of God. And then when God accomplishes what He intended to accomplish, accomplish through that person, the anointing lifts. And they go back to normal again. Whatever normal is. <laughs> <laughs> They're just as slow, just as dumb, 
just as hungry, just as tired as anybody else, right? And, and that's just and that's the way that works. And I, I'm saying we 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 do need this. We need it, uh, and not just that. See, we need the unction of the Spirit. So not just that we pray, but that but that we pray according to the will of God. As we pray according to the will of God, God answers prayer. Hallelujah. And then we're co-laboring together with God. Then we're not doing our own thing and God's doing His own thing. Now we're co-laboring together with Him and that is all by uh, the power of the Spirit. And so uh, there is such a thing as the Spirit of the Lord God upon me. We need it and we need more of it uh, than we've ever needed before, family. However, new paragraph, turn to, uh, I believe it's 1 John 2. Now, what I've just talked about, the church is very familiar with, especially any spirit-filled church is familiar with the spirit coming upon you. And yet there's another form that no less valid, just as necessary, just as powerful in the power to become, and that is uh, 1 John 2, uh, 27, that's fine. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And so it's a different form. Now there's only one spirit, and there's only one anointing, but there's, there's two forms. And the one form comes and goes. The spirit upon me comes and goes. But there is something that abides. There's a form of the anointing that does not come and go. It does not lift on and off. It abides, and it's not upon you, it's in you. It's in you, praise the Lord. And so if Christ be in you, see, and so it not, uh, so the Spirit, we want the Spirit upon us, and we also want the Spirit, we want the anointing of the Spirit in us, but the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. And so <clears throat> growth in the anointing, I think, mostly takes place in the anointing that abides in you. There's a, because in some sense, you and I don't have a whole lot of control over the anointing that would come upon you. God determines these things uh, when there is a need for whatever reason. He, he doesn't always share his reasons. He will anoint someone, you know, in certain capacities, certain giftings or whatever, and you and I in our carnal mind might even think to ourselves, you know, I, I, why does God anoint that one? <laughs> I've got better candidates in mind for that gifting or that powerful ministry or whatever. I've got better candidates in mind than that. I wonder why God does that. And He doesn't necessarily have to tell us any answers about things like that. So that aspect of things is, very, is something that you and I wouldn't be able to control or have much input into. But I, I believe that the anointing that abideth in you is something that is, is not only subject to God's will, it's also subject to our will. And that we can decide, if we want to, to grow in the anointing. Especially the form 
that abides in you, see. And, the, and, and I, I further believe that as we grow in the anointing that abides in us, this, and this makes for a greater enablement of God to use us from time to time with an anointing that comes upon us. So the growth is shown in two ways. And, uh, and so <clears throat> uh, it's important to, to recognize and to underscore our need to grow in the things of the Spirit. I want to say again, anybody can. Anybody can. It's not too late, you old people. Anybody can. It's not too early, you young people. Because anybody can, see. In fact, the sooner the better. The sooner the better. Just ask Samuel himself, right? Little boy Samuel, God was calling out to him, right? He answered the call. What was he, five years old? How old was he? You said seven? No, it was, yeah, no, we're not going to go back and try to find it right now. But... uh. And, and, and settle the argument. That's not the point. He was young. And, uh, and, and you, young, you young children, you can grow in the things of God. You can get a hold of the things of God. And so uh, it's, it's not... See, see, the devil lies from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. So when you're young, you're small or whatever, and, you, you, and God, you feel the unction of the Spirit, right? Maybe you're to prophesy. Maybe uh, you have a, a word of, for someone or of encouragement or whatever. And you, you, know, you, you, you feel that urging. And then this little voice comes and says, you're too young. You're too young to do that. You can't do that. You're too young. Right? And if you listen, you, woe unto you if you listen to that. Right? Because what will happen, young person, <laughs> one day he'll change the lie. You'll be older. And then you'll feel the unction or whatever. You didn't do anything and he'll say, you're too old. <laughs> you're too old to do that, right? And neither one's true. You weren't too young when you were young and you're not too old when you're old. Praise God. So don't listen to those lies. Praise the Lord. But grow in the things of the Spirit. Uh, so uh, having said that, let's end today in uh, Numbers chapter 6. Look at it, it's only 11.30, and I said we're going to end. Woo! And this is the passage that Brother Sam ministered on in 1973. Herb Myers ministered on it before that. And uh, it brings a, a wealth of revelatory knowledge when we recognize that all these things were written for our admonition, everything that's written in both Old Testament and New Testament is not, is, is, is not just... God was not trying to write the world's biggest book when He made the Bible. All, the only things included in here are things that passed through God's filter of that which is necessary for our admonition. Okay? You have, comp you have filters on your computer and it only allows certain things through, right? Well, God had a filter about the Bible. And not everything that ever happened got included here. Just the things that you need to know got included here. I'm, I'm, I might be a little more of a stickler than some people are because I believe that, that, that you only need to know what's in here. 
see. <laughs> there are others that would be a little softer than that and say, well, there's some things you need to know that's not really included in the Bible and there are spiritual things. That I, I personally think that can become a little bit dangerous. Okay, People get involved in activities that I can't find a scripture to confirm. I wonder about those activities. Now, maybe I'm just a little too narrow-minded, but so far I don't think so. And so when you come to number six, and he's going to talk about the Nazarite and the vow of the Nazarite and all of that, you know, the reason this was written is not so that you and I, in the year 2016, could become some kind of Jewish Nazarite. But it is written and it's recorded because it was a picture for the time then present of a New Testament reality to which it is pointing. And that reality is that the, the man who took the vow of the Nazarite was a, a figure of a man in our time who would grow in the anointing. And the Nazarite, in a free will offering to God, none of this was ever required, it was of his own free will, represents that believer in Jesus who was anointed of the Spirit of God, who of his own free will offers himself up to the Lord for to be, have the Spirit of God growing within and the Spirit of God coming down upon Praise God. And so the things that are mentioned about his vow are very significant in terms of, of what is necessary for the believer in our era if, if we would grow and become what truly become what we have been given the authority to become, and that is the sons of God. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. I have to comment about this. Number one, God was equal opportunity way back in Numbers chapter 6. Okay, The idea that, that uh, believers and Christians and all that have some kind of a, a uh, thing against women is crazy. God said... It, it could be a man, it could be a woman. And this is, this is way back in Numbers, okay? Uh, either one could separate themselves to the Lord. Either one could vow a vow of a Nazarite. And the other thing I need to say about this is that the, the vow was a vow of separation unto the Lord. Yes. I want to emphasize, yes. unto the Lord. Because holiness people, Pentecostal people, in some cases move of God people, have turned what should be, what, what has always been meant to be a separation unto the Lord, they've turned it into laws, rules, and regulations about being separate from certain things. Right. And so, yes, you don't smoke cigarettes or cigars. Yes, you know, you don't, you, you don't drink, smoke, or chew, nor go with the girls that do. Right. And all these different kind of things, uh, they're turning them into rules, but, but family merely... Even if you keep all of those rules, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've separated yourself unto the Lord in any way, shape, or form. You may have only fulfilled the requirements of a religion that is loosely based on the Bible. And I've told you time and time again, I don't want a religion loosely based on the Bible. I want the Word of God straight up. Right? And so, uh, and I know you do too. And so, uh, uh, the vow was a vow, even then, of a separation unto the Lord and a relationship to the Lord. Now, in verse 3, because these are symbolic of, of special things, he says, 
He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liqueur of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. You get the distinct impression that he was not to have anything to do with the grape. Right? You can't have moist grapes. You can't have raisins. All right? Verse 4. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head. This is symbolic. Until the days be fulfilled, in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy, and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father, or for his mother, or for his brother, or for his sister, when they die. Because... Something more important than anything else because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation he is holy unto the Lord. And if any man die very suddenly by him and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. And then it goes on in several verses talking about all the offerings he's going to have to bring because the, his, his consecration was defiled. Another, meaning that if he's walking down the road and a guy that he's walking with suddenly dies and brushes against him and touches him in some way dead, it wasn't even his fault. <laughs> it doesn't matter. God doesn't say, oh, that's okay, you poor thing. That wasn't your fault after all. No, this is such an important issue that he said, you know, those days that should have been consecrated, they're gone, they're lost. I think it says that, let, 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 me, let me make sure I read that to you. Uh, hold on. Yeah, verse 12, And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation, and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost, because his separation was defiled. And so... <clears throat> In, uh, in, uh, if I can paraphrase, a person would choose a certain number of days as their Nazarite vow time. Uh, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Lord, I vow the vow of a Nazarite. For the next 90 days, I'm going to consecrate them and I'm going to be a Nazarite. And in the beginning of it, I'll shave my head. It's very important, right? And then... During those days, and only those days, I will you know, have no fruit of the vine, no razor is going to come upon my head, and I will make sure that I don't touch any dead body, or no dead body touches me. And this was, see, this was to symbolize the growth in the anointing, because here comes a revelation, and not everybody likes this, but it's just, just the way it is. The anointing grows slowly, imperceptibly like the hair on your head grows. You, your hair is growing right now, but you're, you, know, you can't just stand there and watch it grow. <laughs> if anybody's standing around watching their hair grow, let us know because they're, they're in trouble. Okay? You, know, uh, you can almost watch the corn grow in Iowa, but you still can't watch your hair grow. right? But you know that if you have... You've gotten busy and you haven't really truly looked in the mirror for a couple of weeks. 
even a week, and you look closely, you'll notice that, whoo, my hair did grow. You know, it was slow, it was imperceptible, but it was sure. And the anointing will grow in someone who is yielding themselves to what they need to do. It grows just as surely, just as slowly, but just as surely as the hair on the head of the Nazarite was growing. So, so the reason he shaved his head was so that it would be apparent as the days of that vow were being fulfilled, it was apparent as the hair, as the little stubble after a few days, and then, you know, a little spike Huh? after a few more days, and then finally uh, enough days go by that maybe the hair can actually start to lay down a little bit, right? Uh, you know, and after 60 days or 90 days or whatever it was, it was very apparent that this man or this woman had, had fulfilled a certain number of days. But it was important, since this was a free will offering anyway, that if they said, I'm going to vow 60-day Nazarite vow, that they had to fulfill the 60 days. 59 days would not do. It had to be 60. That's why it says in another place, better not to vow than to vow and not pay, right? And so, uh, so they had to be careful. And even if they accidentally ate a raisin on the 59th day, too bad. And what this verse says is that they lost all the 59 days. And you read a little bit further. It also says that after they've lost all that 59 days and they've offered all the appropriate offerings, they have to start all over again and give the Lord the 60 days, the 60 full days that they vowed to Him. Now, I'm saying all this to say, to show from this type and shadow what an important business this is of growing in the anointing and how God felt about that vow is how he feels about our growth. This is how he feels. It's nothing to play with. It's nothing to just, you know, be happy-go-lucky about. Uh, you know, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. No, it was once the vow was made, then the vow had to be kept. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, is there another verse I should read here? No, no, that's enough. And so, uh, so when the uh, when the Nazarite was doing his thing, and uh, his hair was growing, and you know it was known, uh, the there's a picture of the believer that is growing, that is waxing strong in spirit. And of course, you have, and we won't we won't look at it in detail, but you have. A few examples in the word of Nazarites. And of course, the one that really that, that brings together a lot of these, these ideas from the word is that Nazarite who was known as Samson. Interestingly about Samson, Samson was not the one that chose for himself to be a Nazarite. His mother chose it for him. Now, there's no provision for such a thing in the Old Testament at all that your mother could choose for you to be a Nazarite, but somehow that's the way it was. Remember, if you give me a son, then I'll dedicate him to be a Nazarite you know, from the womb and all that. And, uh, and yet, uh, it's, it's, the Bible actually says, and the Spirit of God came upon Samson from time to time. But you know that though the Spirit of God came upon him, there doesn't seem to be much of an indication that the Spirit was ever abiding in him in a continuing growing 
interior anointing, but rather he is a very mercurial character doing great good at times and then also getting involved in great trouble at other times, you know, and always relying on the, the, the history that even if he got in trouble, he knew that the Spirit of God would eventually come upon him. And even if he let his enemies kind of mess around with him and he got himself in places where he shouldn't be, you know, the Spirit of God would come upon him then he would receive that strength, even that physical strength, and then he would be able to do in his enemies, etc., etc. But you know, that, uh, the, you, know, the, you know that the Nazarite was not allowed to drink the wine or the strong drink. And yet one day, Na Samson found himself in the valley of Sorek. The word Sorek means vineyard. Now you'd ask a question. Wouldn't it be a good question? What is a Nazarite doing in upstate New York? You know? What is a Nazarite doing down around Kelowna? You know, huh? With all the beautiful wineries and all the vineyards. So he's and, and don't you know that in the valley of Sorek where the vineyards were, there was a girl, right? And her name was Delilah. Delilah is an interesting name because it, it has meaning. The, Delilah means languishing. And languishing in the English language has two distinct definitions. One is of a soft and tender expression. I think that's why her parents named her Delilah. But they didn't realize that they were actually prophetically naming her Delilah. This little baby girl had pretty eyes. So they named her Delilah of a soft and tender expression and it mainly used of eyes. But languishing has another meaning. It means to lose strength or animation. To languish is to lose strength or animation. And so the little girl named by Philistine parents <laughs> was prophetically named in her effect on uh, her effect. Yes. How she, how she affected Samson. The, her effect on him. Effect is a noun. Effect is a verb. Okay. Uh, her effect on him was exactly what her name says, right? And so, uh, you know, and I just want you to keep, and, and the reason I'm going through this before we're finished is because it's, you, can, you can wax and wane in the anointing. You can grow stronger, but you can also grow weaker. You can go very strong, and you can also grow very weak. You can have everything, and you can also end up having nothing. And so it's not just you know, a linear progression upward all the time. And so carnality, deception, uh, you know, uh, sin, degradation, can not, on, not only can they, can they uh, take away from anointing, but they can actually completely destroy what someone has, you know, has, been, has built up for years and years and years. And this seemed like this is the case with Samson. He's, uh, I don't know how long his hair was by the time that all this happened, but it must have been awfully long if it was a whole lifetime without ever the razor having coming to it. And so, uh, but <clears throat> Delilah, and you remember the story, do you remember some of the details? That Delilah was approached by the five lords of the Philistines. Like it wasn't Delilah's idea to do all this. She was approached... Because the five lords of the Philistines were so frustrated with Samson's exploits that they wanted to find the secret of his strength. And they offered her, 
each of them, offered her 1,100 pieces of silver if she would give them the secret of his strength. Now, a piece of silver was a day's wage. So 5,500 pieces of silver was 5,500 days wages or roughly 18 years worth of pay. 18 years worth of pay is a lot of money to find out a secret. As it turned out, it was very easy to find out. <laughs> you know, and so uh, and Samson thinking that everything was going to go the way it always had gone, right? You know, allows himself to be lured in. But, but and the reason I'm saying this is because God has something, it seems, excuse me, the devil's got something out there. He dangles something out there, it seems, for everybody. He knows your likes. He knows what you like, what you don't like, and all that. And if that is sort of like Delilah to you, you've got to understand that Delilah doesn't act alone. It's, Delilah is an agent of those five lords of the Philistines. And whatever it is that might seem appealing is not, it's not acting alone, but it is an agent for someone that wants to kill you, someone that wants to rob you, someone that wants to take away everything that you have, you know. And so the, although the Spirit of the Lord came upon him at times, yet when finally, you know, he half lies and half tells the truth to her and he finally spills all his heart, you know, that the, there is no razor come upon my head and I've been a Nazarite from my mother's womb and all that, she cuts his hair. Then, interestingly, the Bible says that Delilah, began to afflict him. So his, he was not Arnold Schwarzenegger. See, his strength truly was a divine strength because of the vow. I know it's weird, but that's the way that it was. Otherwise, she would not have been able to afflict him, right? And so you know how they put out his eyes, etc., and all that. And, but you also know that the dummies <laughs> forgot about the hair. <laughs> and as he, you know, almost unwittingly started keeping the vow again, and the hair grows again, right? And the strength comes back, and that last little hurrah, he finally pushes the pillars, and the house comes down, and all of that. And so, uh, so, and so I'm saying, uh, you know, it's never too late, right? And despite whatever screw-up has happened in life, it's still not too late. For, for redemption, right? And so uh, we'd like to have life without any screw-up whatsoever. And, uh, but even if there has been, there can be a redeeming quality uh, if we will, you know, uh, 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 grow in the anointing. Brother Sam said, <clears throat> so simple, he said, uh, what you got to do in order to grow in the anointing is you got to have dedication, consecration, Separation. Dedication, he said, is a one-time act that you, that you, in response to the invitation of the Spirit, often in a church, often in a Sunday night service or whatever, uh, and this is precisely what happened to me, and, and, a, and there was a little church called Bethel, but don't get, don't, don't, don't get puffed up yet about Bethel, okay? Uh, there's a little Bethel assembly, little Pentecostal assembly in Huntington, West Virginia, on the wrong side of the tracks, Wonderful preacher named Sam, but he wasn't Sam Fife. He was Sam Pack, the young guy with a terrific, glowing face. The anointing was on his so, so mightily. His guy's face shone when he preached, and he he had a dedication service. I think the service was just for me because it was just me and a bunch of little old ladies in in the in the meeting, and uh, and when he 
was talking about dedicating your life to the service of God, I, I literally felt fire from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and up again to the top of my head and back down to the bottom of my feet. I couldn't wait to get done with the sermon so I could run to the front and dedicate my life. And when I did so, I, I, I should have received the baptism of the Spirit, but because I was doctrined with Baptist thinking, when the brother came to me and he asked me, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost? I said, yeah, I've received the Holy Ghost, which is true because when you get saved, you, you do receive the Spirit, and the Baptist had put it into my head that you don't need any more Holy Ghost than what we gave you. Don't run to any other church. Don't go in any other church because you get everything you need in our church. See, And so don't run after any baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all this. So I have this in my head. And so I don't know what would have happened if I would have just admitted like the Ephesians did. I don't know anything about the Holy Ghost, right? But instead of admitting that, you know, I just gave this, this answer. And so I didn't get a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I did dedicate my life to the service of God that night. And I'm sure many of you did and, at, at different times. And, and, and so that's dedication. It's a one-time event. It's like the Nazarite almost taking the vow. But then, Brother Sam said, comes consecration. In my definition, consecration is daily making good on the vow of dedication. The dedication happens Sunday night. The organist is playing, so send I you. And you're going up to serve the Lord, and you dedicate your life to service. And it's wonderful. You're flying high. And then comes Monday morning. <laughs> Our brother said, it's Friday, Sunday's coming. How about it's Sunday night and Monday's coming, okay? And, uh, Monday's co and Monday morning is where consecration begins, you know, and, and you know that. And uh, then Brother Sam at the time had said that the, the most important of all the three was separation. And I really didn't understand that. But as, as this, the way the world has gone on, the way things have, have gone, I understand it a lot more now. <laughs> than I did as a 17-year-old lad, that what is one of the things that is so important is uh, separation. And so putting all those things together and, and uh, 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 keeping in mind that growth in the anointing, growth in the Spirit is, is, is simply practicing the basics of faith, just the basics of faith. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but practicing prayer and practicing praise and practicing the, the Word of God, practicing serving others, you know, practicing fellowship, and, and practicing hearing what God is saying and doing what God is saying. These are all very basic, essential things, but these are the things that we grow in. These are the things that we give ourselves to, and as we do so, uh, the hair of our head is growing a little bit longer you know, and we're waxing a little stronger in spirit. And so, uh, so we are to grow as he grew. He grew in the spirit, very clear. You and I, if we're going to follow him in the regeneration, we must also grow in the spirit. And the last thing I want to tell you is any one of us can do this.